And once again, welcome to Big Valley. Those of you that are watching online, we're glad you're here. And again, to those of you that are visiting with us for the first time, we're, we're, we're glad you're here. Um, the Bible says this in, in John chapter 7. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him. That's Jesus in public. For they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Nobody had the courage to speak favorably about Jesus in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Beloved, this was written over 2,000 years ago, and in my humble opinion, things haven't changed much. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of Christians are afraid to speak up for Jesus in, in public or to stand for the word of God in public because they're afraid they might get in trouble with people. Might be their neighbors or their coworkers, their family members, their boss, whoever. Today it seems like more and more Christians are afraid to stand for, for God's word. Um, thought a lot about what I was gonna do this weekend, being Mother's Day. And, uh, and I could have done a Mother's Day message. I've done them in the past. But we're in a series here if you're visiting with us. That's entitled Follow Me, where we're just kind of looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of the, of the Lord? And um, I, I, I made a decision that I, I'm just going to keep on going in the series. And this is going to be a, a weighty message for those of us that are disciples. And you may not agree with what I have to say, a lot of you, and that's okay. It's, it's okay that we don't agree. But at least you'll know where, where we stand as a church. When you drive by here, Tully Road, you know, or Pellendale or whatever, or you hear about our church or whatever, at least you'll know what we believe about some things. And it's okay that, that we don't see uh, eye to eye on some stuff. But I'm going to do my best just to share with you what the Word of God says about a few things. Things that we as disciples of Jesus are, are to stand for. See, here's the deal. All of us at one time or another have had times when we froze up. Times when we didn't stand for, for Jesus. Times when we were afraid. All of us. If there's a Christian you ever talk to that says, oh, I've never been afraid to take a stand for the Lord or speak up for Jesus, they're, they're lying. We've all experienced those moments. In Acts chapter 18, it says this, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent, for I am with you. And beloved, in my opinion, the reason why God came to the great apostle Paul in a dream and encouraged him not to be afraid and to keep on speaking God's truth was because Paul was probably afraid. So the great apostle Paul needed some encouragement not to be silent. And that's true for, for us also. We all need encouragement at times to not be silent. Not be afraid to stand for the Lord. If, if we call ourselves disciples of the Lord, then, then we're disciples of the Lord. And I think that that's one of the great reasons why God kind of invented this thing called the church, where we could all come together and, and in an hour and a half here, and in a 168-hour week, the disciples all come together, the church comes together, and it's a chance for us to encourage each other, right? Hip, hip, hooray each other, say hi to one another, sing some songs together, you know, and, 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 you know, about the Lord and to the Lord, hear from his word, all that kind of stuff. Beloved, all throughout the Bible, over and over again, God says to his people, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And the reason why God says over and over again, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, is because God who made us, who created us, knows that we have the great propensity to be afraid, all of us. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said this to his disciples. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven, and I've been given all authority on earth. 
Therefore, because I have all the authority, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Part of our responsibility as a church is to teach all the commands, all of them, and not just teach them to people so that they know them, but to encourage them to, you know, for everybody to actually do them, to actually live them out. And then he says this at the very end, and be sure of this, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I think that, that's the, the key sentence in this little, little moment here. Jesus said, you go, you be my disciples. I want you to go make other disciples. I want you to teach them to stand for me, stand for my word, and remember, I'll be with you. You see, Jesus wanted these guys to know, and he wants us all to know, look, <laughs> I'm with you. And the reason why that's important is because it's not going to be easy. Standing for God and his word isn't going to be easy. There will be some opposition along the way, and Jesus wanted us to know, you're not going to do it alone. I'll be with you. And he's with us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that it was going to be a difficult thing to follow him. He, he said this in John chapter 15. He said, if they persecuted me, and they did... They put him on a cross, they're gonna persecute you also. And a lot of those first disciples, those original uh, 12 disciples or 11 disciples, if you, if you get rid of Judas, they all died a horrible death. Jesus was persecuted to the point they put him on a cross. Peter was persecuted. For those of you who don't know, he was actually put on a cross. That's how Peter died. And while he was on the cross, he said to those that were killing him, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus died. And so they took the cross and just put it upside down, and that's how he died. Now, we don't have to worry about, you know, being killed for our faith here in the United States of America, at least not yet. There are some places on the globe where, guess what, people are dying for taking a stand for Jesus. We don't have to worry about that yet. But it can be difficult at times to follow Christ. Anyway, here's the, here's the bottom line. If there was ever a moment in history where God's word needed to be heard, it's now. If there was ever a moment in history when God's people needed to speak God's truth or stand for God's truth, it's now. And I think God would say the same thing to you that he said to many in the Bible, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking, don't be silent, I'm with you. I'm gonna be with you until the day you take your last breath. Here's the interesting thing, everybody else is speaking up about what they believe in, right? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Everybody else is telling you, you know, what their worldview of things is. Just turn on your, you know, TV on any given day. And everybody's there telling you exactly what they believe in. Or uh, producers of shows or producing movies and shows where they're, they're just cramming a worldview down all of our throats. It seems to me that the only people that are having a hard time speaking up at times are, are followers of Jesus. Now, why is it important to courageously stand up for God's word? Why is it important to courageously, if you will, speak the truth? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10. He said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. One version says, if you stand up for me against world opinion, I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. And I want you to know, that's a weighty statement. For those of us that name the name of Christ, that's a weighty statement. Or those of you that are considering becoming a disciple of, of Jesus, that's weighty. 
It's one of those statements that you have to stop and consider. Jesus said, if you stand up for me on earth, if you'll stand up for my word, I'll stand up for you in heaven. Now, I can't speak for you, but I can tell you that I want Jesus to stand up for me in heaven. And I don't know how that all obviously all breaks itself down in, in, in heaven. I, I don't know. All I know is that Jesus gave us a little bit of data right there that's important. You speak up for me, man, I'm all over you like a cheap suit. I'll speak up for you. If you choose not to stand up for me, well, it's going to go the same way. God's not a, a real big fan of people that are cowards. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon. So that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Paul writes to this young preacher named Timothy, and he says, hey, listen, I'm hoping to come to you. I'm hoping to actually be there in person. I'm hoping I'm actually standing at your pulpit. But in case I get delayed, I'm writing this because I want you to know how you ought to conduct yourselves as followers of Christ. I want you to know how you as a disciple or a group of disciples are to conduct themselves. You see, Paul says, you're the pillar and the foundation or the support of the truth. The church, and the church isn't a building. The church is people, disciples. Those of you that name the name of Christ. We are the pillars and the foundation of the truth. We're it. We, we. It's an important gig for disciples to stand for truth. So what I want to do is this. I want to share with you three areas that every Christian, every follower of Jesus needs to stand for God's truth. Now, now these areas are controversial. And as I said, I don't, you know, I don't suspect everybody in here is going to agree with me. But I guarantee you, if you take a stand for these three things, the persecution will come. I guarantee it. So it's important that you remember that Jesus is always with you. Remember that. Don't forget that, that Jesus is with you, disciple. If you're a follower of his, if you've invited him into your life, he came into your life through the Holy Spirit. He's with you always. Now there's lots of areas that God wants us to stand, not just these three, but, but these are certainly three controversial uh, things in, in our culture today. Number one, followers of Jesus must stand for the sanctity of life. This, this is a beautiful moment that we have up here with moms and dads, and sometimes it's a single mom, sometimes it's a single dad, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a grandma or a grandpa. This is a weighty moment for us where we say, man, here's this new life. And moms and dads, you have the, uh, the, the primary um, uh, position of creating disciples. Now, we'll come alongside you and as a church, and we'll reinforce all the good teachings that you'll give your children. But this is a weighty moment when we bring moms and dads up here with these young lives. The uh, Bible says this in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness and let them rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the tame animals, over all the earth and over all the small crawling animals on earth. So, so God created human beings in his image. Now that, that's something that a lot of kids never hear. There's a generation of kids out there, millions and millions and millions of children out there that literally will graduate from high school and they'll never hear that, that they were created in the very image of God. Beloved, we as human beings are made in the very image of God and that's what makes us special. That's what makes us unique. It's what gives our lives dignity. It's what sets human life apart from all other life. It's called the sanctity of life. 
I say this all the time, but listen, cows and goats and whales and spiders and frogs aren't created in the image of God. God created them, but it was you, me. We were actually created in the very image of God. And that's what sets us apart from everything else. James chapter 1 says, And we, out of all creation, whales and goats and spiders and frogs and porcupines and beetles or whatever, we became his prized possession. Why? Because we're made in the very image of God. You're special to God. You as a human being are unlike anything else God has made. And God made you while you were inside your mother's womb. Listen to what King David said in Psalms 139. You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Those are, those are some weighty words, disciple. The great prophet Isaiah said this, this is what the Lord says, he who made you, who formed you in the womb. You were formed and made in the womb. Beloved, according to, to, to God's word, life is sacred. Now, now, to a lot of people, it's not. I get that. But, but to God, it's incredibly sacred. And in the final analysis, this is all that matters. Listen. Political parties will have their opinions. I understand that. Doctors and medical organizations will have their opinions. I get it. The people you work with will have their opinions. Your family members will have opinions. The person sitting next to you has an opinion. You and I will have our opinions, right? But all of them will be judged by the word of God. All of them. Proverbs chapter 14 says, there's a way that seems right to a man. It seems right, it seems logical. It, it seems like it just ought to be this way, but in reality, it just leads to death. In other words, it's a, it, it seems okay, it seems right, but wow, in the, end, in the end, it's just really crummy. Beloved, every day, over 3,500 unborn babies are killed here in America. 24,000 each week, 105,000 each month, 1.2 million every year. In fact, in the 90 minutes that you're going to sit here worshiping the Lord tonight, about 160 babies will be killed. Solomon was right. There's a way that seems right. But when you add it all up, man, it's just crummy. The womb ought to be the safest place on the planet, unfortunately for 1.2 million babies, it's the dangerous place or the most dangerous place on the planet. Beloved, we as Christians have to stand for the sanctity of life, every life. It doesn't matter if they're a baby in a womb that's severely handicapped or a senior citizen who can no longer take care of themselves. Every life is precious to God, which means every life has to be precious to us, every life. Now this isn't an opinion that a lot of people will agree with, but, but it's the truth and God calls his people to stand for truth. We're the pillar and the support, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And when you get afraid, remember that, that, that Jesus is, is with you. Now, if you're here and you've had an abortion, I want you to know you've come to the right church. Because this is a church that understands that people don't always follow God's truth. I don't always follow God's truth. If you've had an abortion, it oftentimes comes with a bunch of crummy things, sadness, guilt, whatever, and we have a ministry here headed up by Chrissy Aguirre, and she'd love to meet with you. It's super confidential, and her phone number is right there on the jumbotrons, 
571-4399, extension 270. And we have a ministry here called Surrendering the Secret. Nobody will answer that phone other than Chrissy. She's a part of our church. She's usually an usher right back there. She's a member of our church. She's a head of uh, the president of Modesto Pregnancy Center. She herself has had an abortion. There are many gals in our church that have had abortions. And all, and all this crummy stuff comes along with it. And man, they're finding freedom in Jesus Christ. And if you call that number, I don't answer the phone. No guy's going to answer the phone. An elder's not going to answer the phone. One of these guys up here on the platform isn't going to answer the phone. The only person that will answer that phone will be Chrissy. That's it. That's it. And she would love to just talk with him in, in private. And just say, man, how, how can we love you? How can we care about you? And some of you might want to take advantage of that. It's an incredible ministry here. Now, the next area that God wants you to stand for him is, is even more controversial, controversial okay? N number two, followers of, followers of Jesus must stand for the sanctity of sex. We, as followers of Jesus, need to stand for the sanctity of sex. And here's the one out of the three that I'm going to talk about that too many believers get all goofed up in. It's this one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and just listen, folks, just, just, you don't have to agree with me. I get it. Some of you already don't agree with me. That's okay. At least you know the, the theological underpinning as to what I believe and what the Bible teaches. You, you, can, you, you can have any belief you want. You, you can, and I hope you know why you believe in what you believe. I, I just told you what disciples are, 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 are to do. We're, we're to follow this. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now regarding the question that you asked in your letter, obviously a letter had been sent to Paul from Corinth. Uh, Paul has now written a letter back, and he's going to answer a question. Yes, Paul says, it is good to live a celibate life. And the reason why it's good is because, hey, man, if I wasn't married, there's a lot of things I can do for the Lord that I wouldn't be able to do now. I mean, you know, when you're single, you know, if, you, if, you, if your brain still works, you know, and you're a little older like I am, think back to those days when you were single, man. You could do anything you want. Stay out till anything. I, I used to stay out till whenever I wanted to stay out. I didn't have anybody to come home to. I didn't have a wife. didn't have kids. I could do anything I wanted to do. I had all kinds of extra juice, if you will, that I could put into all kinds of stuff. And so all Paul's saying is, listen, man, being single, being celibate is a good thing. You have all kinds of juice that you can use for the Lord that a married guy or a married gal doesn't have. But <laughs> because there's so much sexual immorality going on in the church, each man should have his own wife. And each woman should have their own husband. What Paul's saying is, is there was all this immorality going on. People were not married. And they were having sex with people. These were Christians. And Paul says, hold on here a second. You got this thing goofed up. Sex, there's a sanctity to sex. It's, sanctity just means there's a holiness to it. It's, it's special. Stay celibate, but listen, if, if you're going to burn, man, just get married. Find someone you love. Enter into a covenantal relationship with them, and man, you have your own wife. Don't, don't have anybody else's wife. And women, you find your own husband. Don't get anybody else's husband. And then have all the sex you want to have. Beloved, marriage is God's only provision for sexual fulfillment. Now, marriage is way more than that, obviously, right? But, but marriage is the only provision for sexual fulfillment. Paul makes this crystal clear. That marriage is the cure for sexual immorality. In other words, Paul is saying that because people can't control themselves and so many are having immoral sex outside of marriage, people should get married. Then they can fulfill their passions in a moral way, you see? That makes sense. The Bible over and over again declares that sex before marriage is a sin 
and it's to be avoided. Christian, disciple. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 5, when, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Well, what are those things? Well, one of them is sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. The Bible also says this in Ephesians chapter 3, three let there be no sexual immor immorality, impurity, or greed uh, uh, among you. Such sins have no place amongst God's people. I'm talking to disciples here. The Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, set apart, you're, you're, not, you're not goats. You're, you're, you're not, you know, two porcupines. You're, you're not two, you know, uh, beetles. You're human beings made in the very image of God. Sanctify yourself. Quit living like two beetles or two hippopotamuses who just... Do it. And they don't care about anything. That's not how you're to conduct yourself. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathens who don't know God. Did you hear that, disciple? The next time you come and say, I need to know what God's will for my life is, I'm just going to read that. It's God's will. There it is, God's will. It's God's will. That you don't goof around with sex. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a holy thing. It's a sacred thing. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the body is not to be used for sexual immorality, but to serve the Lord. Now, God doesn't have any problem with us enjoying sex in the context of a marriage. But this body was not designed just for you to run out and have sex with anybody you wanted to have sex with. The animal kingdom's different. Uh, skunks, they, they just do... Have sex with whoever they want to have sex with. But you're not a skunk. You're not a skunk. You're not dogs. That don't have any ability to control themselves. You are human beings made in the very image of God. You're unique, special. God wants you to use self-control. 1 Corinthians goes on and says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of, of the Holy Spirit who lives within you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you, disciple, with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And you don't honor God with your body when you're doing it with just anybody. Does God love you? Yes, he does. You know, one of the things, look, condoms will protect, they can't protect you from a broken heart. I've done this for 30 years here. And I've just seen the brokenness in people. Just broken lives. You belong to God, disciple. You're his. 
He, he bought you with a price. I'm not worried about how you used to live. I, I, I got I a past too. But when you gave your life to the Lord, one of the things you got to understand, disciple, is that he bought you with a price. And this body now isn't just to be, you know, used in some frivolous way. Don't do that. I know, I, I know that's what TV does and Hollywood does and the movies do. I, I know that. I know it. But you're called to follow him, Jesus, you see? Hebrews chapter 13 says this, give honor to marriage. <laughs> Whether you ever get married or not, you need to speak well of marriage. Ma marriage should be honored by all. Even single people are to honor it. Now, you're, you're not gonna see honor, marriage honored anywhere on television. You're not going to see it honored anywhere in movies, or very rarely. Most of the people you do life with aren't going to honor it. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Disciple, yes, God is love. And I like to talk about the great love of God. He loves you. Um, my mother loved me. She loved me deeply. I knew my mother loved me. And one of the ways that I knew she loved me was this little Italian gal who probably weighed all but 80 pounds is about that tall. I weighed more than her when I came out of her womb. Okay? Okay. Let me tell you something. Man, I remember I was in high school once. I came home and used a dirty word, I don't know, the S word or something. And I'm 215 pounds, solid muscle. And I, I don't know, hey. And this little gal grabbed my arm, and it was like a vice grip. I could have taken her out. I think I could have. And she drug me into the bathroom. And she got a bar of soap out. And she said, little Ricky Countryman, you take that bar of soap and you start eating it right now. In my house, we don't use those kinds of words. And I'm thinking, really, dude, are you kidding me? I'm 17 years old, man. What are you talking about? And I looked into her eyes and I said, you know what? I think she might know somebody, a mafioso. <laughs> she, and, bubbling up man you see she loved me enough to where she was going to get mad at me if i if i did something wrong listen disciple god loves you but he'll grab your wrist and pull you into the bathroom and put a bar of soap in your mouth god disciplines those whom he loves now i want to make sure you get this okay Sex isn't bad, sex isn't dirty, sex isn't wrong, sex is holy. The sanctity of sex is that God designed it for one man and one woman that have entered into a sacred covenantal relationship, period. Now I know this isn't popular, but I wanna make sure that everybody understands this clearly. Anybody who says, oh, you know, you Christians are prudent when it comes to sex, let me tell you something, dude, you're so wrong, you have no clue. You have no clue what the Bible teaches. Look, here's the deal. I want to make this clear. Premarital sex is unacceptable to God. I want to make this crystal clear. It always has been, and it always will be. Okay? I want to be super clear. Living together without getting married is unacceptable to God. It always has been, and it always will be. Okay, I want to make, I want to make super clear. Adultery, adultery is unacceptable to God. It always has been and it always will be. Pornography and the objectification of a woman's body is unacceptable to God. It always has been and it always will be. Same-sex sex is unacceptable to God. It always has been and it always will be. 
I don't want anybody to, to walk out of here and go, well, I just want to make sure I'm a follower of Christ. You know, what are, I, just, I just laid down the parameters. Now, if you're guilty of any of these sins, once again, Big Valley Grace is your church because we're all forgiven sinners here. You can find forgiveness here. You, you can find the power to overcome these sins and many others here. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or those who worship idols or those who commit adultery or male prostitutes or practicing homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or people who cheat, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were washed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Beloved, God has the power to change your life. God has the power to cleanse you of your sin. God has the power to make you holy in his sight. God has the power to make you righteous again, and that power comes through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. One of my favorite sentences in all the Bible we just read, some of you were once like that. Let me tell you something, that's a great sentence in the Bible. You see, there are people here at Big Valley Grace that were indulging in sexual sin. Many of you would be included in that, I know. There were people here at Big Valley Grace that were committing adultery. There, were, there are people here at Big Valley Grace that were prostitutes. There are people here at Big Valley Grace that were practicing homosexuality. There are people here at Big Valley Grace that were thieves or greedy or drunk or abusive or whatever. And the reason why they were those things is because they gave their lives over to Jesus Christ and Jesus changed their lives. They were those things and now they're not because of Jesus. You see, Jesus was changing lives when that was written 2,000 years ago, and he's still changing lives today. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter five, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Look, if you're here and you struggle with any of these sins that I just listed off, or any other thing, let me encourage you to come down here on Tuesday night and get plugged into our Celebrate Recovery. It's an incredible place. Hundreds and hundreds of people come. They, I don't know, they eat food and, and come in here and sing and dance. And, and, and the next thing you know, guys go with guys and girls go with girls. And they're here going, you know what? I recognize that I've got some things in my life that don't measure up to God. I'm, I, I, I want to be a better disciple. I want to really follow the Lord, but I got this thing in my life. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is. And I, I just want some help. And you come down here, and man, you're encouraged to read the scriptures. You're encouraged to get into the scriptures. You, you find a group of guys you can hang out with, and they can love you. You can love them. You can care about each other, a group of gals or whatever it is, talk about whatever's going on in your life. Tuesday nights would be a great place for you. Or after this gathering's over with, you can go right into that room right there called the altar room. Great place. Spiritual leaders of our church are in there and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm struggling with, these, with this thing in my life. Help me, help me. And last but not least, number three. This is the most controversial of them all. Followers of Jesus must stand for the sanctity of marriage. The sanctity of marriage. In Genesis chapter one, it says, then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is right for him. Verse 21 says, so the Lord God caused the man to uh, sleep very deeply. And while he was asleep, God removed one of the man's ribs. Then God closed the man's skin at the place where he took out the rib. Then the Lord God used the rib from the man to make a woman. Then he brought the woman to the man, and the man said, now this is someone whose, whose bone comes from my bones, whose body came from my body. I will call her woman because she was taken out of a man. So a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one body. 
Beloved, this is God's design for marriage. When he created the world, he laid out the blueprint for marriage. One guy, one gal, Adam and his wife, and that was the blueprint. And by the way, when God destroyed the world with the flood, he had the same blueprint in mind. Noah and his wife, Noah's sons and their wives. And if you saw the movie Noah, there was no stowaway. That's a side message. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, a lot of people say, well, why didn't Jesus weigh in on the topic, right? You've heard that, Christian? Disciple, hey, yeah, Jesus never weighed in on the topic, man. If it was that important, how come Jesus didn't weigh in on the topic? And what that tells you is this. The, the, the person hasn't read the Bible because Jesus did weigh in on it. Jesus had something to say about marriage. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man allow... Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And then Jesus said, haven't you read the scriptures? What's he talking about? He's talking about the scriptures I just read in Genesis. Okay, you're asking me a question. I wanna know, haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you know what the word of God says? Genesis chapter one, don't you know guys? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all that kind of stuff. In other words, Jesus right there weighed in on the sanctity of marriage, or what God's blueprint for marriage was. He says to these guys, look, what did God originally say? Originally, God said, a man and a woman, they come together for life. That's the plan. That's God's original blueprint. The Bible is very clear about marriage. Marriage is between one man and one woman for life. This was God's original design. He even made the man's body parts to fit together with the woman's body parts, and they have a purpose for fitting together. That kind of makes some sense, doesn't it? I mean, I don't want to be too graphic. I know we've got little children in here. But just think about it. God knew what he was doing when he created a man. Masculinity. And he created a woman. That these two would come together in this incredibly beautiful thing called marriage. And it's kind of like a puzzle. The pieces just kind of fit together. Because they're supposed to fit together. Don't you get it? Now I realize that in today's culture, we as followers of God are being jammed by everybody. Listen to me. Movie stars are coming out in support of gay marriage. You know, Oprah and George Clooney. Well, Oprah thinks gay marriage is okay. So? Really? You're basing your whole thing on Oprah? <laughs> Musicians are coming out in support of gay marriage. Athletes are coming out in support of gay marriage. Politicians are coming out in support of gay marriage. There are so-called pastors, demonic, in my opinion, that are coming out in support of gay marriage. There are some denominations, church denominations, that are coming out in support of gay marriage. The most powerful man on the planet, our president, has come, out, has come out in support of gay marriage. Then on top of all that, there are more movies and TV shows that are made that seem to make it you know, totally normal. Laws are being passed that make it legal for same-sex couples to get married. And when you put it all together and more, let me tell you something, we're being jammed. And there's all these voices out there I was asked, I was being interviewed by a couple of, uh, 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 they were actually college students for a paper they were doing. These kids didn't know the Lord, but they came here and I interviewed them for a paper and one of the boys or one of these kids uh, who goes to Stanislaus State said, well, pastor, aren't you afraid of being on the wrong side of history? 
And I said, hey, young man, I'm not worried about being on the wrong side of history. I just want to be on the right side of Scripture. That's the only thing that matters to me. It doesn't matter what side of history I'm on. It's this. As a disciple of the Lord, as a follower of God, I don't worry about all that. I just have to worry about standing for this. That's all that matters to me. Now, is homosexuality the unpardonable sin? No, it's not. The good news is that God can forgive any sin. God can transform any life. I personally know a number of people in our church that were practicing homosexuals, and today, by the power of Jesus Christ, their lives are different. Do do they struggle? (laughs) You bet. Do they have times of great temptation? Yes. Do they always make the right choices? No. Anybody want to stand up who always makes all the right choices? Anybody? (laughs) I want to remind everybody of one huge thing here as I wrap this up. I want you to remember that God loves everybody. I don't care whether you're gay I don't care if you're a lesbian, transgender. I don't care. God loves everybody. The Bible says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Beloved, I, I, I've heard too many Christians when it comes to these issues, especially the homosexual issue, literally vilify those that are caught in these sins, trapped in these sins. They literally condemn them instead of loving them. Are are they sin? Yes, I've made that as clear as I can in this message. But we need to remember that all of us are sinful. For everyone has sinned. That includes me. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Keep that in mind. When you start pointing your bony finger at somebody and nailing them with their sin, just remember You're one too. Now we're to take a stand. And when you take a stand, you'll be called a hater and a, uh, let's see, a bigot, uh, uh, a homophobe, uh, uh, you know, pick the name. By the way, you do a message like this, my my email will light up. I just want you to know. And listen, my staff is all sitting around here, a lot of them are. Some of you know me well, some of the elders are here. I want you to know something. And I don't say this in a, I'm not bragging. You're not going to meet somebody who's more loving than I am, who cares more about people than I do, who's more benevolent than I am. Now, some of you don't know me, and I kind of got an edge to me up here. That guy's kind of loud. I don't like his hair. (laughs) Mustache makes him look mean. Forget all that, but put all that aside. Those that know me will tell you, there isn't anybody that will out care for someone than me. I love people. I love, I, I love people. I don't care what the sin is you're caught in, you're trapped in. I don't care. Now, but I'm also somebody who will love you enough that I'm going to tell you what God's word has to say. I'm, I'm going to love you that much. And, and, you, you can send me all the emails you want, and people that are watching online, and there are hundreds and hundreds all over the world who watch. You can send me the emails. But I love you so much that I'm going to tell you the truth about some things. Because I care about you. And the reason why I care about you is because God cares about you. And the cross proves how much God cares about you. He died for me, and I was a sinner. Let me tell you something. You can go back to that list. Oh, let me tell you something. Drugs and alcohol, sex. I didn't struggle with homosexuality. But you're looking at somebody who, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, I I was goofed up, man. I I had so much sin in my life. I I couldn't even, if I were to create a list up here, it would just go on and on and on. And he still died for me. And he died for you. He didn't die for us because we were good people. He died for us because we were sinful people. 
Now I want to recap what, it, what I've said just real, real quick and from, from this thought from Psalms 25, okay? The psalmist says, show me the right path, O Lord. Point, me, point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are a God who saves me. And when you look at a verse like that, there's just a thought here that there is a right path. There is a right road that you can go down, which means there's a wrong path or a wrong road that you can go down. And you have to decide what you're going to use to help you find whatever that right path is or that right road is. You can use your intellect, a lot of people do. You can use your emotions, you can use your feelings, you can use what other people think, you can use what the world thinks. There's lots of things that you can gather into your life and say, okay, what's the right path for me? What's the right road for me? Or you can say, you know what? I'm gonna let this be the guide for my life. I'll let this be the thing that guides me, leads me. This is the right path. This is the right road, and it's hard and may not make sense, and I know some of you are going, man, I don't like this message tonight. I know. I've been living with it all week. Listen, there are lots of issues in life where good people can disagree. There's no health care plan in the Bible, so good Christians can disagree on that. There's no defense plan in the Bible, so Christians can disagree on that. There's no economic recovery plan in the Bible, so Christians can disagree on that. There's, there's no tax rates you know, given in the Bible, so Christians can disagree on that. But when it comes to the sanctity of life, the sanctity of sex, and the sanctity of marriage, th these are non-negotiables. The word of God is crystal clear. And in the culture we live in today, we are called to stand for those things as difficult as they might be. But at the same time, remembering how much God loves, loves people. I want you to stand up real, real quick. Okay, everybody stand. I'm going to pray for you. And ladies, don't forget on your way out to pick up one of these. And like I said, and by, it's for all of you. I don't, I don't, you can be young, doesn't matter. You got kids, no kids. This, this is a, a flower for everybody. And I know what some of you guys are thinking right now that are here. You're going, man, you know, I forgot to get my, my, my wife some. Can I get six of them? Can I you know, bundle them up? No, you can't. That's all you get. Father, thanks, Lord, for tonight. And, um, I've enjoyed being here, I've enjoyed the music and enjoyed the, the video, enjoyed all these moms and dads and kids up on the platform. And Lord, I love your word. God, help me to stand for it in, in a loving, compassionate way. And Lord, for those that are here that maybe are struggling and maybe they don't even believe in you and I hope that they would know that, that I'm not a mean, evil guy. I'm just unpacking the word of God as, as clearly as I can. And maybe they might go and search the scriptures on their own to see if, if, I'm, if I'm right. God, thanks for being good. And I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, listen, go grab your children. Hurry, get out there, man. Go get them.